0: Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, doers. Amen. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. How do we say that here, family? Family. We live, we love, we serve. Go ahead and take a seat for a second. I'm going to read a rather lengthy portion of Scripture today. I don't want you standing. Somebody say thank you. You're a real piece of work. And we'll be the deacon right here in front who said that. (laughs) Look, and then y'all fan it in wintertime. I love it. I love it. If I put that air on, though, you're gonna be. I won't do it. <laughs> Luke 15. I want you know. I, I I have to say this. I'm I'm never amazed. i you know. I say this all the time. I'm always amazed. Um, there are believers. There are Christians, and I probably may say something like this every week. Cause folks already mad at me. So I mean, if you're gonna be mad, double down on it. Let me. You know what I mean? Um, I'm amazed at how people who say they are believers are so, uh, how can I say it, antagonistic when it comes to love. It is amazing how people who claim to be believers can say, some of the most mean-spirited, hateful things you can't imagine. On Tuesdays, some of you know, on Tuesdays, um, I co-host uh, Keeping It Real with Reverend Al Sharpton on Tuesdays. And every Tuesday, I got to tell you, there was a brother. I won't tell his name because he, he might have been converging and start watching now. But, you know, every Tuesday, it was like he would listen to my sermons on Sunday and he knew he could call on Tuesday and every week almost he came challenging me and saying all kinds of stuff saying I was a heretic and, and how I was you know I was a, a, against the teachings of Jesus and all this stuff so on this one I, I laugh it off because he would come with some whoppers man on Tuesday and then there's one particular Tuesday which was actually the last Tuesday I ever heard from him I mean, he was faithful every Tuesday, this brother called, but this Tuesday was the end of that. I got a little frustrated, you know, not upset with him, but I was like, let me, that's right. That's my granddaughter saying, see, and I said, let me ask you a question because he told me I was an enemy of Christianity and I said, Ooh, I said, okay. I said, so brother, so on, so, on. I said, so you, you, you think I'm a heretic? Absolutely. You think I don't love God? Absolutely. You said, I'm an enemy of Christianity. He said, absolutely. And I said this, okay, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, he's my Lord and Savior. I said, good. So you actually follow Jesus? He said, absolutely. I said, tell me how Jesus says to treat your enemies. He, he fell right into the trap. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, it has been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But now I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And that's not even a good part. Watch this. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of God. Some folk missed that part in Matthew 5. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Not hate, threaten, abuse, attack, name call, love. It's not at the point of your comfort that your faith comes out. It's at the place of your discomfort where who you are comes out. I just think that's interesting. So in that same vein, Luke 15. I'm going to read this long. That's why I want you to sit down. I don't want nobody falling out on me. I got to read the whole thing. So after I read, I won't have much preaching to do. You'll get the story. But Luke 15, 11 through 32, I got to read it all. All right. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, you know this story. Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. God, I don't even know what that means, but desolate it was bad. <laughs> when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command yet. You have never given even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this season. And thank you for your your amazing grace. Your amazing grace. We love you God. Because you're love and mindfulness of us is unmatchable. And for that, we say, thank you now, Oh God, in this time, let your word do its own work. And we'll be sure to do our part, which is to live, love and serve. We thank you, God. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me read that last verse, verse 32 but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Amen. I I want to just share this thought today and I'm gonna make it clear. The title I want to talk about is I follow a gracious savior. I follow a gracious savior. This parable, that Jesus tells is one that many biblical scholars believe in some ways may be autobiographical. They believe that in some ways Jesus might have seen himself maybe as the younger son who lost his way for a while but then came back. There's a big debate about that, but there's one thing that's not debatable about this scripture in Luke 15. And that is the context of this story. This story comes as the third story in kind of Jesus' parabolic response. In other words, his teaching in parables in Luke's gospel. And the teachings arise because Jesus is questioned. You read Luke 15 when you get a chance and check it out and see what the impetus to Jesus' is teaching in Luke 15 is. In Luke 15, Jesus talks about someone who lost the sheep. And when they found the sheep, they invited everyone to celebrate with them. Then he goes on to talk about someone who lost a coin, who swept the whole house looking for this one coin. And when they found it, They celebrated what was found that they thought was lost. And then Jesus comes to this story here. There was a man with two sons. The impetus to these teachings is one that unfortunately is tragic. Tragic on many levels because the impetus that necessitated Jesus teaching these three parables. Unfortunately, is still the same kind of context that exists today. There are people who are believers who think that when you believe in Jesus and accept Jesus as personal Lord and Savior and even call themselves Christians, it means now that you have become so fragile with your faith that you can't be around, quote unquote, sinners. Notice what I said. Who think, who become so fragile with their faith that somehow they're not able to associate with sinners or people that are viewed as untouchable, unlikable, unlovable, and problematic. Why is that? Well, the impetus, you guessed it by now, to these three parables is that. The scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus as follows and said, we are confused. How can your teacher claim to be one sent by God, but he eats and hangs out with sinners and folks who have horrible reputations and people who, well, who may be distasteful. How is it that your teacher, Claims to be one of God, and somehow these are the people he chooses to hang out with. I mean, the first obvious thing is that Jesus is clear about who he is. When you're clear about who you are and your connection to God, you don't live with fragile faith You live with a deep and strong abiding belief because you know who you are. And then when you know who you are, you also understand that the opinions of people who don't know you do not matter. I hope someone lets that sink in today. Because sometimes we have a tendency to get discombobulated, disjointed from, by people who don't really know us. And somehow we think that those who know us can actually have opinions about us that we now hold on to. And we, we let set in our spirit and upset us. I heard some words. I, it was a gospel according to T.I., the rapper. And he was giving an interview, and T.I. said, he said, first of all, he said, I don't worry about people who talk about me who don't know me. Second, he says, and this was the part, he said, here's what you got to remember. If you live for the applause, you'll die from the booze. You hear that? If you live for affirmation and validation, you lose your mind when folk turn on you. But that's the culture we're in right now. People turn on you in an instant. If you say the wrong thing, believe the wrong thing, don't say it a certain way, don't honor what they believe, folk will turn on you quickly. And and this is what happens when you build your persona, your character on how people elevate you, then you'll be held captive when they turn on you and think somehow you're no longer worthy because those who used to praise are now planning and plotting. No. Who you are as a believer and who you are as a human being is not shaped by the attitudes and opinions of people who do not know you. In fact, we're in an age where people think that their opinions are your facts. That's just not the case. It's sad, but it's the case. But here's the thing. It's really no different than Jesus's time because human beings are the same. No matter what generation, there will be people who think somehow they can cripple you by their words about you, but don't know you well enough to have that kind of power. And so if they don't know you well enough to have that kind of power, don't give them power by elevating their foolishness. I wish I would get in a social media argument with somebody I don't even know who... who, 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 who hide under a name that ain't theirs. And no, you, know, you came and stand strong in your name. I'm supposed to engage you. I wish I would elevate your profile by stooping down to engage in foolishness. Mm-mm. I don't have to defend me because I'm clear about who I am. All right. So here it is. Jesus is asked by the religious establishment, those who are the gatekeepers of the status quo of religion in their times, who have a problem with him now, hanging out with sinners, people who are problematic. whole lot of us in here. There's a whole lot of us in here right now who other people deem as problematic. Because they know your history, your background, your past. And they wonder, how in the world are you in church now? That's okay. You let them know. If you have a problem with me, I know somebody who wouldn't. Watch it. There was a young man, Jesus said, who had, and the story is really self-explanatory, but let me just highlight a few things. The young man comes to the Father, give me my inheritance. I want my money now. I want whatever you had reserved for me, Father. I want it now. Now, I'm going to point out the things that are not said, not the things that you read, because the things that you read are obvious again. The story would seemingly be obvious, but for some folk, it's not obvious, which is why many people who use Christianity and their religion as a weapon stay a thousand miles away from this story. Matter of fact, they stay away from Jesus' teaching, period. That's deep, but we'll get on that another day. There was a young man who won his stuff. Now, he says, give me my inheritance. Notice what does not happen. The father didn't even argue. There's no fight from the father, which is deep. He asked for it, whether it was out of arrogance or his ego or whatever it was, or just his desire to go out and live a little bit. He asked for it, and the father gathered the things and gave it to him. No fight. Notice that. The son then takes it and he does what we do when we get a little change in our pocket. He said, I'm about to go get it in. I know he went and got the outfit that he had his eye on for a moment and went and got fresh and you know had all was eating out heavy and you know tipping big, you know what I'm saying? Because you know how when you get a little money, you like to tip big, right? You don't really tip big when you by yourself eating, but when there's others around, you you know, you want to flex. He tipping big, he living good, he throwing parties, he taking care of everybody with that little change he got I could imagine he went in the spot was like, you know what everybody drinks on me tonight because everybody loved being around you when you that that person, right when you walk in and you just you setting it out for everybody they love that and so he's living there but here's the thing the money runs out and then the money ran out usually. Relate, some relationships are connected to the presence of financial resources. Y'all didn't get that, okay? Did some folks who stick around as long as you got money? When you ain't got no more money, they leave. So then it says he was alone, didn't have anything. He goes and gets a job working in the in the, in the farm, let's say to speak. He gets a job because now he needs some money to support. He's just living for the basic things. And then the the, the owner of the facility said, look, go out there and work and feed the pigs. He's feeding the pigs. And here's what the scripture says. Nobody gave him anything. All the folks that were probably around when he was high on the hall, living good, were there. And soon as things didn't look too good, they disappeared. And he found himself alone. And nobody gave him anything. He's sitting there. And now he's forced to eat what the pigs are eating. It's rough. But then something happened. It happens to all of us sometimes when we hit what we may call rock bottom. It said this, and he came to himself. Man, my God, that one line is the line that transforms lives. And he came to himself because we all have that moment. We live and doing our thing, living how we want to live sometimes and getting caught up in things we have no business getting caught up in and doing things we have no business doing. You got to be honest about that. You didn't come here this morning to lie about it. You got to be honest about that, that you weren't always sitting in here talking about every praises to our God and stuff like that, that there was a time in your life where you were living and doing things. You weren't thinking about church. You weren't thinking about coming to no sanctuary. In fact, Sunday was your day to recover from Friday, Saturday, and so you were at home chilling on Sunday morning, easy, and now here you are singing and all this stuff because you know that there was a time. You had that come-to-yourself moment. We all have those moments. Can I be honest with you? You have multiple coming-to-yourself moments. You don't just have one You have several. How many of y'all had several of these moments in your life where you had to always, over and over again, remember who you were? Oh my God, I can't believe I made that decision. I can't believe I found myself here. again, there it is, again, I'm here, again, I promised God that I would never do this again, I made that promise, I said, God, if you get me out of this thing, I'll go to church every Sunday, I went to church the first three Sundays, by the fourth Sunday, I was tired from Friday, Saturday again, and then you went there again, and you found yourself in the jam again, in another situation, and then you started being transactional with God again, God, if you get me out again, I promise, I know the last time I said it, I didn't honor it, but this time, I'm talking to the honest people in here today. Right? I wish it was linear. I wish we could just say, one time I came to myself and I was good. No, I had a whole lot of come to myself, come to Jesus moments in my life, and I know I'm not the only one where I had to learn something. I had to learn, learn, uh, that sometimes my intentions don't add up and match my actions. But here it is. He came to himself in the pigsty eating pig food, and he realized who he was. My God, look at where I am. My father is paid. Y'all gonna get that. And I'm sitting here eating pig food and pig slop. And then another revelation happens. He said, even my father's servants eat better than this. And here's what's not said. Sometimes when you fall like this, young man, you don't hear this from God. You give it to yourself. Watch. You think somehow you can't come back to God the same way because God would never forgive what I've done. And, And even if God forgives, maybe God's memory is long and and maybe God will remember what I did. And so you then become transactional again, like the young man. He said, listen, I got to go back home. I can't be living out here in these streets like this no more. I got I to gotta go back home. But I know my dad going to have a problem because I was caught up in myself when I left. I wanted all my stuff, thought I could do what I wanted to do and go where I wanted to go and live any kind of way. So here's what I'll do. I'll go back, but I'll come back not as a son. I'll come back as a servant. It because the, the the title son has expired because of my decision. There's no way that my father will accept me back to equal standing I had before I left. I ruined it. you ever been there when you got so low that you thought you ruined every relationship. you thought that... People would not see you the same anymore because you did things that you weren't proud of, as I said before, and so he decides to go back home. It takes a lot of courage to go back home. People don't always talk about the courage it takes to own your mistakes and be willing to go back to the people you 've wronged with honesty. You know the folks sometimes you you wrong won't always forgive you, but you're willing to go back. To make amends is really about you and not about whether they receive it. See, 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 here's what you always have to remember. Just because you got to a place where you recognize what you've done wrong and you want to make amends doesn't always mean that the people you wrong are ready to receive you. That means that just as you had to experience your own transformation, you have to be patient with some people. Just because you're renewed and now because you're grown, you've grown because now you're different. Be patient with the folk who you've wronged and don't get angry when they can't receive you the first time or the second time or the third time. Because you've got to give pe- folks some time to to work out their emotions with the things that you've done to them. I hope I'm helping somebody here today because because you have to be that way. So the son now decides he's going to go with his speech, and he got his speech worked out. He's going to go see his father. He's going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and before heaven, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please accept me back home as a servant. And that's the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven before you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. I mean, think about that. And he goes back with this speech in his mind. Now, what does not get talked about is the fact that life went on because sometimes we forget this. I heard somebody say, can you give me three words that can sum up life? And the person said, it goes on. Life doesn't always stop with your decisions or the things you've done wrong. It continues. People continue to move and grow. And so he was out there doing his thing because I love it. On one hand, he's out there having this this transformative moment, but it never talks about what's going on back home. Life goes on. His older brother was still working out there doing his thing. And the father, though, this is interesting. It was seen that although the father was still moving on with life, he still was holding out hope for his son. Henry now, in his book about the prodigal son, he says he imagines that every day the father might have been at home looking out the window to see maybe this is the day my son comes back. That no matter how far out you go, that there's still somebody waiting for you to get back in your right mind. There's somebody who is holding out hope, even when other folk have given up, who's believing that you will come back. Back to yourself. That's the thing that drives us sometimes, that keeps us sometimes, that there's somebody who you don't even know. I like how the folks are saying, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. You never know. I've been the recipient of prayers from people I don't know, unnamed folks. All of us are. We're here not because we made it on our own, but because there's been a community or some people, some mother, some father, some grandmother who refused to give up on you when you were at your lowest point. I know I got a witness in here today who can testify that, 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 that in part the way you made it out of your pig. Die out of your hellish places because there was some folk who were still lifting you up and still believing in you and still hoping for the best for you. There was that person who never stopped. And no matter how far away you got, there was that person who believed that you would get yourself together. And like this father, you they were there waiting for the day, always working, going through life. But every now and again with a glimpse out the window to see is this the day? Still going through the motions of living, but still believing that there will come a day where you would come back home. Now, I got to tell you something real quick, that when Jesus tells this parable, there's many people here. There's many folk here. Now, let me just help you understand because this is a parable he doesn't break down. The father, the older brother represents the gatekeepers of organized religion. The father, well, represents God. And the son represents all of us who've done wrong, who've made mistakes, who've not always made the best choices. That's the story that this idea That God is like the person who lost the sheep and went out to get the one sheep, God. It's like the person who swept the whole house just to find that one coin, even though they had tons of coins. God is the person who still keeps his eye on the one, even though there are a thousand, a million others to be focused on. That is who it is. And and you and I are the ones who've fallen short. We're the prodigal. We're the young son, son. The truth is we've named this the prodigal son. It should be the gracious, loving and forgiving father. That's what it's really on some levels could be about. Jesus tells his story to those who are questioning why he associates with sinners. And he wants them to understand how God treats those who've made mistakes, how God treats those who've fallen short, how God treats those who have made poor choices and made bad decisions and done things that you are not proud of, how God treats you and I when we come to ourselves after how we've thrown some things away and blew some money and blew some opportunities, how God looks at you. And that son is walking home like some of us make our way to this place or back to our literal homes, hoping that folk would love us and receive us. And sometimes they come to places like this and meet an older brother. Look at it. I always envisioned him walking home. I know how nervous he would have been. And probably to calm his nerves, he was repeating that little speech he had. Father, I've sinned against you and before heaven, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of the servants all the way home. And I love how Jesus tells it. He said, while the sun was far away, He ain't even got home yet. Because he had his speech prepared for when he got home. He didn't anticipate being met by mercy on the way. His father runs out. Can you just see that in your head? Runs out to meet him. Because you know when you've been looking and hoping, when that day comes... He runs out, sees him. His son now makes the speech. That's in the book. But notice what is not there. The father don't say nothing to the speech, unmoved by the speech. He didn't even say, son, I thank you for saying that. But, you know, you didn't have to say that. He didn't say anything. You know how he responded to the son's little speech? He said, look here. He kissed him. He hugged him. He told folk, go ahead and get the fatted calf. He got his ring, put it back on his finger. He said, we about to have a whole party tonight. <laughs> Notice what ain't there. He does not come to the son saying, where you been? What you been doing? Why you want to come back home now? Must be out of money. He does not throw in his face what he has done. He does not remind him of the flaws and the mistakes he made. He does not remind him of his poor choices and decisions. This is the father. He says none of that. That moment, like the lost sheep who's found, like the lost coin who's found, is a moment of celebration. This is where we make a mistake. We want people who feel already bad about what they've done and carrying the weight of guilt and their own actions. We want them to come to us. We want them to feel sorry and feel bad and feel hurt that you can't receive come back to church and you ain't come here and get your life right. No, the Father represents how we are supposed to be with those who already walk with the guilt of what they've done. Remind them how valuable they are. Remind them how worthy they are. Remind them that this is a time of celebration. That that you, Nash, yes, you made mistakes. And guess what? This might not be the last time we have a party because you may go out again and you might come back. But watch this. Every time you show up, we're gonna have a party. Every time you come back, we're gonna have a party. Why? Somebody say, No, nah, you're playing too much, Pastor. You can't just keep forgiving folk. Peter thought that too to Jesus when he talked about forgiveness. He said, We gotta keep on forgiving, Rabbi. We gotta keep forgiving. What seven times we gotta forgive? He said, No. 70 times 7. In fact, ain't no number on how much you ought to forgive when someone is willing to come back. So the party ain't just one party. It's a continuous celebration of those who were lost but now found. The elder brother is tight. I've been here following all the rules. You were gone, I came to church every Sunday. I went to TNT, I volunteered. I was on the committee, I was at breakfast before books. I served on the pantry, went to Super Bowl. I was here at the coat Drive. Ain't nobody give me no award. Ain't nobody shout me out. But you want to celebrate when this person who ain't done none of that, and you know they was doing everything but what I was doing, you want to have a party for them, but you ain't done nothing for me. You want to glorify the derelicts. And I've been here being faithful. And you you don't do nothing for me? Where's my reward? Father said, wait a minute. You're confused. Everything I had belonged to you. There was never a point where you could not have anything. But here's the difference. You were never lost. Your younger brother was. You've been here with me. And here you are. You sitting outside the party mad because there ain't one for you. You're missing out on the opportunity to grow because ain't nobody doing nothing for you, but you've never been like this. Isn't that something? Oh, we run like a, a, a fast animal. You can think we run away from this story because it don't match with how intolerant church has become. No one wants to be like, yes, pastor, I'm the elder brother. Yeah, I was one of them people who used to hold stuff up with people's head. I ain't want to sit next to these people. I used to judge people, and then here you come. You think somehow you got a right to tell somebody they're going to hell, they're a heretic, they're going to burn in heaven. Yeah, I'm sure you could find scriptures to justify that, but forgive me for sticking with the carpenter. He said, judge not lest you also be judged. In fact, he went on and said, how do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye, the dust, and you got a whole beam coming out your eyes? No, no. Jesus, the, the law says this woman should be stoned. What do you say? He's like, okay, cool. Y'all got stones. Okay, fine. Go ahead. I ain't going to stop you. But make sure you qualify to throw stones. Those among you who are not sinners, go ahead. Let the stones fly. Go ahead. Do it. He didn't tell them not to stone. He just said, before you stone, look in the mirror. Because every stone you got ready to throw, you better a boomerang back on you if you ain't careful. And here. He shows something, what it means to be gracious and loving. And in case you think when I said gracious savior means he died for sins, yes. But when you are like that young man, because the story ends with the older brother, I can't imagine how the younger one felt. He thought he would not be accepted only to find out his father was waiting to throw a party. He couldn't even imagine that love would be waiting for him. But it was. He couldn't imagine that grace was waiting for him. But it was. He couldn't imagine that forgiveness was waiting for him. But it was. I don't know if there's anybody in here today who's ever felt the incomprehensible joy of being forgiven. The undeniable beauty of thinking you wouldn't receive love only to get it. The utter ecstasy when all you thought You were going to get was chastisement, but instead you got grace. No, there's a whole lot of younger brothers in here. We all got our story of how we used to be. Many years ago, one of my dear friends, Larry Covington came here in my early years, I preached a sermon, he said, the FCBC was no ordinary place. But he also said this, he said, all of us in here are members of the was club. We all got to pass what I was doing, who I used to be. Don't run from that. That's part of your story. Because see, what makes the story a gracious one is when you talk about where you were and where you are. And how in the midst of it, God, like the Father, arms were just waiting to embrace you. Anybody in here like that? Come on, stand on your feet today. We're getting ready to leave, but... I get emotional when I think about this. Because I can't tell you how many people have run to places like this only to be turned away or talked about, ridiculed. You look through social media, the kind of venom that is spewed by people who claim to follow Jesus is terrifying. If, if you want to talk about anything, talk about this gospel. The good news about someone who came to set captives free and set the oppressed free and bring sight to the blind and to remind those of us who mourn that every day is a day of God's favor I, I'm only speaking to those of us today I'm keenly aware that everybody don't get it and I ain't for every message ain't for everybody but for those of us who have who have stains on our resumes. I ain't talking about your work resume, your life resume. There's stains, there's some tainted spots. There's some things on there that, you know, if some folk knew, they'd look at you twice. And what, what nurtured you to wholeness wasn't hate. It was love. There's nothing about or nothing like being overtaken by God's love. Have you ever felt those moments? If you haven't, I pray you have this experience because they come in some strange times. you you laying in the bed feeling depressed. And all of a sudden, something hits you. it's It's like the door to your room opened and a presence walked in pulled up next to you when you were laying down. I remember when I was a little boy, something I loved to do. I often talk about my grandfather. He was my hero, but, but when he was dying from cancer, I often would go and lay in the bed with him. Even though, you know, I was at the time, 14, 15, you know, I wasn't too cool not to feel the hug of my grandfather. I was lay in that bed. He put his arms around me. Powerful moments. You see, because at that age, I didn't really understand Jesus fully or how god was yeah i grew up in church but i didn't get it but i didn't have to get it because i had my grandfather because when you walk in love and grace you represent god there was nothing i'm gonna say it again for me to get in that bed and lay next to him and cuddle up next to my grandfather i'm 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 thinking i'm cool with me my little high-top fade and, you oh know what I'm saying? Little S curl on top. Y'all know nothing about that. <laughs> Y'all know nothing about that. But there was something about being in my grandfather's arms that took all the pain away. I remember on one occasion when he was in the throes of cancer, he held me in his arm i mean there he was clearly transitioning he was not himself he had lost so much weight but he cared enough to say this to me in his own way i was sitting in bed one day and he said listen don't worry about granddaddy and he dropped it on me when i think about that these words today i get chills because because He believed in God, believed in the Bible, but he he was dying and he says to his grandson, don't worry about me. He said, granddaddy is going to a land that flows with milk and honey. In that moment, he was still thinking about me, about what I would deal with when he passed. That's love. I love to imagine God that way. Instead of me coming up to my grandfather, God sometimes sneaks up on me when I least expect it. In the most unlikely moments, puts his arms around me and lets me know, you can't get away from my love. Nothing, nothing will separate you and me. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. 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 The further away you think you are, the more intense his embrace becomes. The further away you think you are, the more His arm stretches to embrace you. So today, before we leave, I I want you to think about those moments where you felt God's presence the strongest. And you may be saying, Pastor, I can't really identify those moments. Okay. If God is love, then those moments you felt cared for the most Loved on the most. That's your profound God moment. Think about those who embrace you, held you. The times you thought you weren't going to make it, and you got that call, that visit. That person said that one thing that helped you make it another day. The time you were ready to give up and throw in the towel, and yet there were people who did not give up on you, who reached out to you. That time you came to church and somebody hugged you and said, I ain't seen you in a while, so good to see you. That time you were sick and And people showed up. You didn't even think people knew you were in the hospital. Folks showed up and they came to see about you. The time when you were in your most need and you came down to this kind of place and we fed and we kept you. That's love. You know why that's a savior? Not so that you can get to heaven. But when I say save, think about how that young boy's mind was saved to know that he was loved when he got home. Can I tell you this? Love is always waiting. Mercy is always waiting. Grace is always waiting. Waiting for you. So that you will know. As Jesus thought that the kingdom of God is real. It's in love. So as I pray today, I want you to think about those moments where you knew, I'm going to get real churchy, where you knew in your heart that if it had not been for God, I mean, for real, for real, you would have lost it. Think about it. God, we thank you today. We love you, God, that you are so gracious, so giving, so loving, so merciful, so forgiving. God, all of us in here have stories and pasts and things that we're not proud of. And, And I know, God, there are people who just always want to punish and always want to remind us. and They have a problem with love and they got a problem with how Jesus teaches. I don't get it, but it's there. Thank you for reminding us today, oh God, that for those who have a problem with grace, love, mercy, that's their problem. Not ours, who are the recipients of grace, love, and mercy. Thank you for never giving up on us. And thank you for always remembering us. And thank you for being mindful of us. And thank you for bringing people into our lives who represent you. And thank you for those kingdom moments that break in in our lives to remind us that we are cared for. And then thank you, oh God, for the directives you give. Thank you for not being embarrassed by us. And thank you for not being ashamed of us, oh God. Thank you for not giving us guilt. That's what we give ourselves. Thank you. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. And we've never loved love so much. We've never loved grace so much. We've never loved mercy so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And God, some of us today celebrate not a month, for that is the depleting. We celebrate our lives. Some of us in here come, oh God, from a people who endured hell. And how can't we handle these issues today? They, have, they face hell and brutality every day. God has found a way to get up and keep on pressing. We come from them. Our warriors, we will not let them down. For we know our warriors are watching. So we stand on strength. We stand on love. We stand on tenacity. We stand on audacity. We stand, oh God. Realizing that we are sons, daughters, children of the most high God. And we end it this way. We are the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on us. And in us, O oh God, you find favor. We love you. We honor you. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. 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 if you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.